Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. If you have your Bibles, let's be opening together to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I am uh, excited about today's lesson as we look at Jesus, a chronological look at the life of Jesus Christ, the most influential life that has ever walked the face of the earth. And we are in John chapter 8 today. And I want you to notice in verse 12, there is one word uh, that begins this little section of Scripture in John chapter 8, verse 12. I don't know if you see it there. Uh, But it's the word again. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I I really want you to put your eyes on that word again there in John chapter 8. If you have a phone and you want to pull out that, turn off Candy Crush or whatever you might be playing, and and let's go right there to the the Bible. And I want you to notice that word again in, in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them. That word again is really important Uh, It's important for our understanding of what's going on here in John chapter 8. And that word again points us back to John chapter 7 and verse 37. It reminds us of the context of what is happening, and it gives us some insights into what is happening around Jesus Christ as he says what he says as well. Now, we started last week looking at this seven-day festival called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It was a festival, if you remember, where God was remembered. His continual provision was remembered. As the Israelites came out of Egypt and went into the wilderness, this was a a time uh, after that successful journey to the promised land when the people uh, celebrated God's provision and they celebrated the harvest that had just passed. And there are a whole bunch of things that took place in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. And I want to share uh, some of those things that happened because I find them fascinating. And I think they help us understand a little bit more who Jesus is. I want to say up front that a lot of what I'm sharing with you today is way outside of my pay grade. I have been doing a lot of studying and listening and, and grab some things from a lot of different sources to put together for you here this morning. So I claim no originality whatsoever, but I want you to know these three things that have really helped me grasp a little bit closer who Jesus is. So there's three things that happen during this festival. The first, which we talked a little bit last week about, is that people lived in booths or tents for this week. For seven days, they would build these makeshift tents that had three walls and a roof, and they would live there. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? To walk through the streets of Jerusalem, and remember that the tabernacle feast is a pilgrimage feast where where all of Jewish males were expected to come back to Jerusalem, and so all over the place, there would have been these tents. What an amazing spectacle that would have been. Not only was there the booze that they lived in that reminded them of their, uh, their, 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 their past, 
But there was a water ceremony that took place. I talked a little bit about this on our five-minute Friday this week. Uh, But the water ceremony, what would happen is they would process out to the Gihon Spring, and they would bring that water back and pour it out on the altar to remind them of when they were dying and thirst in the wilderness and how God had provided water to them from the rock. And that's what John chapter 7, verse 37 is all about. Remember that word again points us back there. And John 7, 37 says this, on the last day of the feast. That's important. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, on every other day of the feast, a procession was made out to the spring and back to the temple where a water sacrifice was poured out on the altar. But on the last day of the feast, on the seventh day of the feast, this procession happened seven times. It kind of reminds you of Jericho a little bit, doesn't it? But on the seventh day, that procession happened seven times. And so as these processions are happening, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up and he cries out, I am the living water. This water that represents the provision of God for his people, this life-giving water that came from an unexpected source, that is who I am. That is what I am. This is huge. This is such an amazing declaration that Jesus makes in that moment. I am the living water, he says. And as if that weren't enough, there's one more ceremony that takes place that I want to spend the rest of our time talking about today, and it is this fire ceremony, for lack of a better word. What they would do is they would light these enormous lamps, these enormous candelabra at one place in the temple. Again, it wasn't just one lamp. It was tons of them all over the place. And it gave an enormous amount of light to the city. And what they would do is they would dance beneath this light. And they would celebrate beneath this light coming from the temple. And it was an amazing time for the people of Israel. And so this feast was remembering not just how God gave them a home, not just how God gave them water, but how God gave them light Light in the wilderness. But I want to ask you, do you remember how? Do you remember how God gave the Israelites light in the wilderness? As they were leaving Egypt, do you remember what appeared before them? If you know your Bible history that you know that in the daytime, God gave them a cloud, right? And that cloud sheltered them. That cloud protected them. When the Egyptians changed their mind and came running after the Israelites, that cloud went from in front of them to behind them to protect them from the enemy, right? It was also a cloud that sheltered them from the sweltering sun. But when the sun went down, that cloud that cloud began to radiate, that cloud began to glow, so much so that it was called what? A pillar of fire. That's right. So you have a cloud in the day, a pillar of fire at night, and that's how God led them. Remember what happened when they got to Mount Sinai? That same cloud came down on the mountain in thunder and flame. And when they built the tabernacle, the cloud appeared over it. And when it was time to move, the cloud would go before them and they would follow after it, right? And when they got to the land of promise and a few centuries later, they, uh, they built a temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, the cloud came down and everyone hit the floor. Why? Because the cloud represented something. The cloud was the glory of God. 
That's what this cloud was. It was the glory of God. And so in Exodus chapter 20, or excuse me, chapter 13, verse 21 and 22, we read this. So the Lord went before them. Did you hear that? The Lord went before them. It wasn't a, it wasn't a cloud. It wasn't fire. It was the Lord. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This cloud, this fire was the glory of God's presence. He gave them light. He came and gave them light. And during this ceremony, this festival, this celebration, this week-long party, every night they would light the candles, and those candles would light up the entire city, except... On the last day of the feast, according to my research and understanding, on the last day of the feast, they didn't light it. According, again, to what I've read and heard, they didn't light it because the festival was over. It was finishing up. They were putting stuff away. Kind of like, you know, when Christmas is over and you got to take all the decorations down and you got to take the lights off the tree if you do that. I don't know if you do that or not, but, but when it's over, it's tough, right? And the last night of the feast was kind of, a very difficult time for Israel. It was the worst night of the feast because in that temple court, in front of those cold, dark lamps, it was impossible for Israel not to realize something. It was impossible for them to realize that the glory light of God's cloud had not been seen in Jerusalem for centuries. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel gave us one of the saddest chapters in the entire Bible, and it's found in Ezekiel chapter 10. And in Ezekiel chapter 10, just for me to sum up what happens, because of Israel's sin, the glory of God leaves the temple. And if you keep reading in Ezekiel, not only does it leave the temple, but you see it goes out on the mountaintop and ultimately back, it leaves Jerusalem completely. Ezekiel 10, one of the saddest chapters in the entire Bible. So think about that. The same glory of God that led them out of Egypt, the same glory of God that led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night, the same glory that according to Exodus 13, 22, did not depart from the people is now gone. The same glory that filled the temple when Solomon finished it and dedicated it to God leaves. And so this last night of the feast, when after a week of light, the lights go out, and there's despair in the hearts of the people. But it's on this night, it's on this night that Jesus again, John chapter 8, verse 12, speaks to them. Listen to what he says. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true, Jesus said, even if I do. Bear witness about myself. My testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. 
If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus is standing, according to what we just read in verse 20, at the treasury right in front of these gigantic candelabra, these lamps that represent on that day the missing glory of God, and he cries out, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Jesus is saying something amazingly profound. He's saying, I am the glory light. And that thing that you long for, that thing that's missing in you, that thing that you haven't seen for centuries is here. The light is here. I am the very glory of God, he says. You see, Jesus Jesus doesn't just point to the glory of God. Jesus doesn't just reflect the glory of God. He is the glory of God. Do you hear what he said? He said, I am the way that light, the light of God can come into you and you can participate with it forever. And when he tells them, That whoever follows him will not walk in darkness. Do you understand how amazing that is? Like when the the pillar moved with Israel and Egypt and they followed, he's saying, listen, if you will follow me, not just with your head, if you will not just know some facts about me, but if you will actually follow me, if you'll actually come after me, you will never be in darkness. Jesus is saying, I am the source of, of ultimate life, I am the source of ultimate truth, I am the source of ultimate joy. It's not money, it's not sex, it's not stuff, it's not fame. No, Jesus is the source of ultimate life, truth, and joy. Not only that, but it is Jesus and Jesus alone who brings eternal life. There is salvation in no other, Acts chapter four reminds us. We're about to head into winter. We got Oh, I guess autumn to take care of first, fall to take care of first, but then it's going to get cold. But in the spring, when the sun comes out, if you're near snow, it begins to melt away and things begin to grow again. And I just want to tell you, when, when Jesus finally becomes more than a Sunday event, when he becomes more than just a good example to you, When he actually becomes your light, you will begin to change and you will begin to grow. When Jesus is more than just an add-on to your life, when he becomes the source of your life, you will never again be the same. You see, Jesus says what no other religious leader in the history of the world has ever said. You see, all of these other quote-unquote religious leaders, they all point to a way. They all say, we're the moon, we're reflecting the light of God, but not Jesus. Jesus comes along and he says, I am the sun I am the son. I am the glory of God. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He gives us so much more of God. Here's the thing. If you were able, if you were able to look at this power, pillar of cloud in the Old Testament, you would be amazed. You would be in awe of what you saw. But Jesus comes and he gives us so much more than that. You see, Jesus is God's glory veiled in flesh. Jesus is the glory of God in a way that you and I can grab, in a way that you and I can embrace, in a way that you and I can follow. 
Oh, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Think back to the transfiguration that we looked at just a few weeks ago. Jesus takes the three amigos, right? Peter, James, and John up on the mountain with him. And light begins to radiate from him. Moses appears and talks to Jesus, right? And most versions, especially in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, says that Moses and Elijah and Jesus were having a conversation. And that conversation was about his departure. But that's not really a great word. Uh, the, the word I think better is that they're having a conversation about his exodus. Think about this. Think about how this all fits together. Think about how this, how this works. Suddenly, a cloud comes around Jesus and the disciples, and they're scared to death. How are they going to survive the glory of God? They're on their faces. The glory of God that hasn't been seen in centuries. How are they going to survive? But they do survive. And they hear the voice that says, this is my beloved son. And Jesus was left alone. Why didn't they die? Because Jesus is the exodus. He's the new exodus, right? And so think about what this means. And remember that Peter, you remember what he said? Hey, how about we build some booths? How about we build some tabernacles? It all fits together, doesn't it? It just fits so perfectly. Jesus is not just the glory of God in reality. Jesus is the entire exodus. So think about what that means. Jesus is the lamb slain. They put blood on the doorpost and death passed over. Jesus is the lamb slain so that Egypt, Israel could be freed from Egypt and slavery. Jesus is the west wind that parts the Nile River so that his people could walk across dry ground to the other side. Jesus is the log that turned bitter water into sweet, refreshing, life-giving, life-saving water. Jesus is the rock struck so that those who could drink could live. Jesus is the manna from heaven, the bread of life, as he says in John 6. Jesus is the serpent lifted up in the wilderness for those who turned to and looked upon could see and live. Jesus is the tabernacle to end all tabernacles. And Jesus... Jesus is the cleft of the rock. Do you remember this? Jesus is the cleft of the rock where Moses got to see the passing glory of God. I want you to think about this. Man, I hope that we have some Moseses among us today. Think, Moses had experienced God like nobody else in the history of the Bible had ever seen. I mean, he, he saw God do amazing things through him, right? He, he, but what, was he satisfied? No. He wanted more of God. He says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. And God says, I can't, Moses. If you see my glory, you'll die. He says, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. My glory is going to pass by, and you're going to get to, you're going to, get to see the passing of the glory because you can't handle all the glory in itself. Do you have that hunger for God? As much as he's done in your life already, do you want more of him? Or are you satisfied with where you are? I pray that's never the case, that we're satisfied with what we know and what we've experienced. Let's long for more like Moses. Let's hide in the cleft of the rock who is Jesus because when we do that, when we hide in what he has done for us, it is then and only then that the light and glory of God can come into us and we can come into it. And this is available. It's available to you and it's available to me. It's available to any who will trust and obey and follow Jesus. So I want to say this to all of us who are here today. This 
is a call on your life and it's a call on my life. This, I am the light of the world statement, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, it's a call on your life. Especially today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a call on your life. It's a call to do four things, at least, probably more, but I'm going to limit it to four this morning. Here's the first thing. This is a call on you and me to live with consistency. Because Jesus is the light of the world and whoever follows in him will never work in, walk in darkness, this is a call on your life and mine to walk consistently. Listen, some of you are doing things in the dark. Some of you are hiding things from your spouse. Some of you are hiding things from your friend. You're hiding things from yourself. You're doing things in the dark that you know are wrong. And I just got to tell you, those things won't stay hidden forever. Not only do they always come out in this life, even if you happen to escape this life, when the light of the world is here, those things are going to be revealed and so this is a call for us to not live differently in the darkness than we do in the light. This is a call for us to live with integrity. This is a call for us to live consistently. You see, we can't be different when people are watching than when they're not. We can't be different in the dark than we are in the light. Let's be consistent. In fact, if you don't even want to walk in the dark, just stay connected to Jesus. Live consistently. And I don't care if you're eight, I don't care if you're 18, I don't care if you're younger than that, I don't care if you're older, I don't care if you're 90, I don't care if you're 172. This is a call for every single one of us to live with consistency. And not only that, it's a call for us to live attractively because that's what light does, isn't it? To live attractively. Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, just in case you have forgotten that you and I, we are the light of the world. So, when people watch you take criticism, when people watch how you treat those under you, when people watch you deal with other people or handle trouble, are they surprised? Are they amazed? Is there anything there that's pointing them to the light? Is there something about you that causes people to to kind of want to be around that and, and to want to know more about that and to say, how can I get in on that? He's the light of the world and those that follow him will never walk in darkness. This is a call to live consistently. It's a call to live attractively. And it's a call to live courageously. If you are light, you are going to expose people around you and you won't be able to help it. If you are light, you're going to expose people around you and you won't be able to help it. Have you ever heard about someone who's working so hard that they make the people around them look bad? You know that one that always breaks the curve? <laughs> They're not doing anything but what, what they normally are, and yet people come to them and say, you need to hide that light. You're making me look bad by what you're doing, and so you need to hide that light, and if you do, you're a coward. If you hide that light because you, you've made somebody mad because of how you're living your life for Jesus, you're a coward.
Let me ask it this way. Has anyone ever come to you and said, I need you to put that light out? I need you to put that light out. And if they haven't, maybe it's time to take a, a long look in the mirror at who you are and what you believe and what you're giving your life to. This is a call on our lives to live with consistently, consistency and integrity, to live attractively, to live courageously, because Revelation 21.8 says God doesn't want cowards in his army, right? And this is a call for us to live hopefully. Hopefully. Do you realize what's going to happen when Jesus returns? Do you understand what's going to happen to this world? What's going to happen to you? What you and I are going to become? Do you recognize what's going to take place when Jesus returns? How can we not live as the light of the world? How can we not live hopefully and expectantly because of what he's going to do when he returns? Do you believe it? Do you believe he's going to do what he promises to do when he returns? Because if he does, then our actions should be showing it. We should be living courageously and hopefully and attractively and consistently. We should be living with integrity. We should stop caring about what everybody else might say or might think, and we should be living for him every single second of our life because I'll tell you, life is short death is certain and eternity is long and how you live your life now determines where you're going to live forever the call on your life you are the light of the world you're a reflection of jesus who is the very glory of god Oh, I hope that you'll take that with you this week. I hope uh, that you will recognize the call on your life that Jesus makes. And I pray in the name of Jesus that we will do all of those things we just talked about and more. Don't hide your light. Don't hide your light. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I've been hiding it way too long. It's time to get going. Yes, it is. It's time to let her burn. Let her burn. <laughs> it's time to, to, to let it shine. It's time uh, to be about that business, right? So if you, you want prayers, you need forgiveness, then man, let's do that right now. Let, let's let not anything stand between us and shining the light of God for this community and this world to see. If you've never started your walk with Jesus Christ, let today be the day that, man, we light you up. We light you up and send you into the world to be that example to others, to expose whatever needs to expose because not you're trying to be mean or ruthless or anything. No, just because it's who you are. Let that happen today. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. 
As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.